really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and anything else I can find that rhymes with ewes. Anyway, as always, I remain David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. So I cover Major League Rugby and my beloved New England Free Jacks here at home. I always follow the international tournaments. I watch the Premiership in the URC in Europe and South Africa, and I watch Super Rugby Pacific in the Southern Hemisphere. If you'd like to get in touch, well, frankly, I would love to hear from you, so please do so. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram, at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And if you can bring yourself to, by the way, leave me a positive review wherever you get your podcasts, it would just really be great. I've, I've honestly noticed the difference since somebody gave me an anonymous one-star rating. So if you can help me turn that average up a bit, I would be very and sincerely grateful. With all that being said, let's get on with the show. So we're going to start with current updates, as always, and... You know, my friends, my ongoing saga with my sort of frustration level in terms of my work, it continues. But, you know, I have to say, I'm here to tell you guys, I had a major breakthrough this past Friday. Um, I really felt like I got through to my most troublesome class, but, you know, by a lot. Uh, I feel like we've really finally connected in some big and important ways. I think it was just great. It was my first truly awesome day there. Um, of course, it's me. So I'm once again riddled with anxiety of uh, about this coming week. But, you know, I do feel like I legitimately turned a corner. This week should be a good test to see if I was right. So as always, my friends, wish me luck and send good vibes my way. Yes, Isaac, it is good news this week. So down in the Aotearoa in the women's game, the Hurricanes Pua, they, they claimed their first ever win in Super Rugby Aupiki. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. They topped uh, Matatu, it was 18-6 to in Hamilton in a match which saw Matatu enjoy more possession and spend 60% of the clash in opposition territory. The Hurricanes' staunch second-half defense came out on top, with Matatu conceding 19 turnovers. Holy crap, that's a big number. Anyway, the Hurricanes, they started off where they left off last week against the Chiefs, uh, working a high-tempo attacking game. While, and while the Hurricanes looked dangerous when they were in possession, Matatu were indecisive in what they wanted to do. Ultimately, things were harder than they needed to be for the Southerners. In any event, the Hurricanes, they held on through an early second half onslaught, having to sustain 10 minutes in which they did not get out of their own half. But then, by then, the victory was sealed. And I got to tell you guys, I wish more leagues would utilize this men's and women's doubleheader format. It's been awesome this weekend. I've seen a whole lot of it. Again, 18-6 to 6 was the final score. And I did dig up a little extra info because I didn't know what uh, uh, Alpiki means. So the name Super Rugby Alpiki reflects on the competition being a crucial stepping stone between the uh, the Farah Palmer Cup and the Black Ferns, with Alpiki translating to mean the ascent to the uppermost realm. I love that. Moving on to the thoughts of the week, you know, for, <laughs> I'm putting the cart before the horse a little bit here, but... I'm sure you already know, France, they were crowned Grand Slam champions to claim their first title since 2010 after emerging, I, I hope it's not too emphatic, 25 to 13 winners in Paris. Although a jittery performance caused by the nerves of the occasion prevented them from pulling clear at any stage. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, it's the third time in five years England have ended the tournament nursing three defeats, a poor return that raises questions over Jones' suitability to continue just 18 uh, months out from the World Cup. 
I also don't know about that. This is all something I've taken from the official website. And uh, I don't think Eddie Jones is in any danger of losing his job. Um, anyway, a big win over the All Blacks in November gave the French the favorites tag heading into the Six Nations, and they embraced it with the win over England, seeing them finish a point above Ireland. The English, they finished third, which is an improvement over last year's fifth place, but one unlikely to ease the pressure on coach Eddie Jones after a second straight championship in which they lost three games. Again, I don't think he's going anywhere before the World Cup. I'm pretty sure that's set in stone. Anyway, it's been a difficult couple of years for England. Now their former coach sees there being a clear division within the tournament. Quote, my take is that there are manifestly two divisions. There are France and Ireland, and then there are the rest, unquote. That's from Clive Woodward in his Daily Mail column. Youch, a lot of pain to go around the Six Nations, uh, so we should probably get to it. Well, it was a bit of a, an odd final weekend for Six Nations. Uh, of course, it featured all three fixtures right in a row on the, on the Super Saturday, beginning with Wales at home for what most of us had assumed was an absolute gimme against Italy. But no. Now, I have to say, I can't imagine you'd even be listening to this podcast if you didn't already know this. So I'm going to have to go ahead and risk the spoilers. Wales lost at home in Cardiff to Italy. Italy had lost 35 consecutive matches prior to Saturday and had never won a Six Nations uh, or hadn't won a Six Nations game since they beat Scotland, <clears throat> Scotland back in 2015. They had never won in Cardiff, though they did manage a draw there, I noticed, back in 2006. This was an absolute shocker of a result. You have to assume a reckoning is coming. Wales won Six Nations just a year ago, and this year they yielded an all-time historic loss, just a complete and utter turnaround. You know, during the match, I was chatting a bit on Twitter with some other fans, and one of my questions that kept coming up was, where is Wales' passion? You know, they, they showed no aggression. They offered no signs of even basic enthusiasm. They were like dead on their feet out there. They weren't even celebrating their own small victories throughout the game. You know, when you watch England, and you see this all the time, in fact, people are often complaining about the likes of Maro Atoji, sort of overly celebrating every tiny little thing. He's renowned for his primal shouts and his pumping fist. I understand it, it, maybe it's over the top, but Wales had none of that. Late in the match, Wales got a crucial turnover. I think it was Josh Navidi who got an amazing turnover. It could have made a huge difference for them right then. Not one player even looked excited. You know, um, fellow podcaster Bill Simmons, <laughs> as if, um, he likes to call himself the body language doctor, and he would have been all over this one. Every sign was pointing the wrong way right from the start. Now, I have to say, to me, Wales really blew it. They had a chance very late to kick a penalty that was going to push the score to a two-score margin. Instead, they went for the corner and came away with a fat lot of nothing. Those three points would have made Italy's final try ornamental rather than decisive. I don't think we can underestimate just how much that decision cost them in the end. Of course, you know, Italy, they were the opposite, wearing their hearts and their sleeves for the duration of this match. And obviously, uh, and I'm, again, I'm, I don't think I've heard his first name pronounced. They just they say Capuzzo over and over, but uh, it's uh, Angie, uh, Angie. Anyway, we all know who Capuzzo is now, that's for sure. He, over the course of the last two weeks, he's become the hottest thing in rugby. He went from undersized who dat to mega superstar and deservedly so. Josh Adams' sweet try at the 68-minute mark. It looked like that might have sealed the deal, but Italy, they never gave up. It was Capuzzo's brilliant footwork that got him clear for the offload that led to Padovani's try right at the end. Garbisi was in tears over the victory, even as he was slotting the extra points. It was amazing. It was an incredible day for Italy. <laughs> you know, afterwards, they interviewed one of the Italian players, and they asked us, so how are you going to celebrate tonight? And <laughs> he replied with a completely straight face, we're not going to celebrate tonight. 
It was epic. I just loved that bit. <laughs> he had, the look on his face was absolutely priceless. Anyway, congratulations, Italy. You absolutely deserve this one. Thank you for choosing someone besides Scotland to beat. That was very useful to some of us. <laughs> and uh, 21 to 22 was the mind-boggling final score. Wales. Oh, boy. Wither now, Wales. Okay, next up. Um, you know what? There, there was no second match. It was uh, canceled. Yeah. No, wait. No, no. It, it turns out Ireland is actually a mythical country concocted entirely of our collective fantastical whimsy. So, so naturally, there is no rugby stadium there. And certainly there was no rugby fixture against the Scottish national team, obviously. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. It did happen. It happened. Ireland put in a dominant performance against Scotland and got a, a massive victory with the bonus point there at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. It was not fun to watch. Um, to me, you know, Ireland, they looked dominant the whole way. It was, you know, one of those games that didn't feel close, even when it was close, you know, it was disappointing to allow them to get that bonus point that they so desperately craved right there at the end. It just seemed like such a series of silly mistakes that led to that. I guess it made things a little more interesting for the third game coming up, but it was also troubling that Scotland didn't register a single point in the second half. It was a poorly played, mistake-ridden exhibition for them on the whole. Blown lineouts, errors and bumbles at the breakdown, sloppy passes, all these were the order of the day for Scotland, and Ireland were more than happy to take advantage. You know, last week when I spoke with John Anderson from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, he pointed out some of the glaring flaws in Johnny Sexton's game. And I actually thought to myself, hey, now there's something a coach like Gregor Townsend should be able to plan for. Maybe concoct a little, uh, you know... A sort of wrench to throw into their 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 works. I'm butchering this metaphor as we speak, but you know what I mean. Like it's the perfect opportunity when you see a hole like that to come up with a specific game plan, foil that, take something away from them. If he did any such game planning, it was not visible to me. Um, I still feel like Scotland are in a better place than Wales right now, but to be honest, that isn't saying much. The most positive thing I saw on the day was the performance from Pierre Schumann, the Skunami, as I've dubbed him. I don't recall seeing him getting a breakaway and running free like he did early on, and I was stunned to see how rapid he is. He's like a like a gargantuan gazelle or something. Just amazing. The things that guy can do. Finn, he again looked listless and frankly bored. Um, I can't tell if it's a nagging injury or just him getting sick of his coach, but either way, we didn't get to see any of the magic we've come to expect from him this whole tournament, in my opinion, at least. I just realized the rest of my notes, I was just about to basically turn this into a long list of players who disappointed me on Saturday. But you know what? I just don't want to do that. I mean, it, I, I'm going to continue to feel that way, but it, it's silly to just go down the list and say, nope, not good enough. Nope, not good enough. And that's pretty much what it would be for everybody. So I don't know exactly what has to change, but I imagine it's a lot. Uh, 26 to 5 was the tally in the end. And uh, my brightest comment can only be, at least we are not whales. Okay, and of course, to finish off the tournament, we did have France at home in Paris, needing only a victory over England to get their first Grand Slam in 12 years. I think I've basically said the same thing about all three matches this weekend, but again, it, it just never felt close, even when it was close. Um, when Antoine Dupont he scored a try to make it 23-13, to 13, even though there was 20 minutes left, I wrote done and dusted in my notes for sure. To me... You know, England just didn't play very well. It seemed pretty simple. At one point, I noticed that Agent Furbank was having a great day with his feet and a terrible day with his hands. And unfortunately for him and England, as Nigel Owens once famously said, this is not soccer. So Tom Shanklin, he was on comms again for this one. He had some really interesting comments to me, essentially criticizing head coach Eddie Jones and his uh, sort of overall philosophy. He said how 
Joan's philosophy for a few years now has been the team that kicks the most wins the game. And for a time, that was an effective strategy. It got him pretty far. But, and I would never have thought of this until he pointed it out, if that's your team philosophy and that's the way you train and that's the way you practice, what happens to your running game? It kind of shrivels up and dies. He was pointing out how over and over again, England would get good go forward. Then after a runner got tackled, there's just nobody there to back him up. No, no one to cover the ruck. Most importantly, no one to get to, to get the ball out to. You know, time and time again, the scrum half was just nowhere to be found. So France, they were just free to pilfer the ball with impunity. So many easy turnovers for them in that first half. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought Shanks made a very compelling argument considering it kept happening right in front of my eyes as he was describing it. I feel like a lot of people are down on Shanks these days, um, and maybe I just don't know why that is, but I'm continuing to enjoy his work on comms and his podcast as well. He always brings a unique insight for me. Anyway, France, they looked incredible, if not perfect. There was a little, some nerves maybe at the very beginning there, but I felt like there was no team that they wouldn't have beaten on this day. You know, England couldn't find the try line until the second half. Stewart's try was their only one. And Antoine Dupont, the player of the match, I mean, well, so I'll actually just quote here from the Six Nations official site, quote, there were some outstanding performances across the board from France, but it was only fitting that the accolade of Guinness Six Nations Player of the Match went to Antoine Dupont. He is the heartbeat of this team. His tackle on Maro Atoje when England threatened in the first half, followed by a monster clearing kick five seconds later, was one of the key passages in the first half. In the second, he produced the moment that sealed it, unquote. You know, it's it's been a, a rough Six Nations for any fans other than the French supporters. Um I think we're all going to, a couple of years from now, remember this as being completely dominated by France, with only Ireland really giving them any trouble. It's a bit frightening that they're this good almost exactly a year and a half out from their home Rugby World Cup. So, you know, all I can say is congratulations to the players. It's entirely well-deserved. I'm sure you all enjoyed, quote, not celebrating, unquote, with Italy on Saturday night. 25-13 uh, to 13 was the, the last total of this tournament, and I imagine there will be some serious shakeups through at least three of, the, of these nations. So meanwhile, let's get as far away from that as we possibly can. Let's go to the other side of the earth. So down in Super Rugby Pacific, as I did pretty clear last week, there was some postponement. Not like I'm a genius, but I think anyone would have known there was going to be some postponements, some schedule reshuffling, you know, lots of messing around. That left us on the day, uh, or on the weekend, I should say, Moana Pacifica, they were playing the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, despite being the away side, they were not messing around. You guys know me by now and could safely assume I was rooting for Moana Pacifica to get their inaugural win. But let's just say that nine tries by the Chiefs pretty much ruled that out. It was an absolute beatdown. Josh Iwani's conversion after full time made it 12 to 59. It looks a very tough road for the new franchise. Let's hope they can start to click with some more time together. They still have as many wins as my hapless Highlanders as well. So there's that. <clears throat> Next up was a great one, the Battle of the Undefeateds. It was the Brumbies at home for the Reds. Um, by the way, my son has decided he really gets a kick out of my silly Australian accent. So whenever I'm watching Super Rugby, he wanders in, I start giving him the, ah, look who it is, you're a massive supporter of the Brumbies. And uh, it always makes him laugh, which makes me laugh. Anyway, as I say, this is a Battle of the Undefeated going into this one, a rematch also of the Super Rugby uh, Australia final last year. This one was as good as advertised, especially considering it's Super Rugby. It was really low scoring. The Brumbies came out on top 16-12 to 12 to remain the only unbeaten team, including the Crusaders, guys. They're basically the anti-Highlanders right now. <clears throat> anyway, Western Forest versus the Fijian Drua, and as I'd hoped, it was a close one. Headed into the final 20 minutes, the Drua held a single point advantage, 18-17. to 17. There was a frenetic play to make things even more exciting. 
uh, with the Force wearing their very cool black kit, uh, claiming they had scored another try, though the TMO would have to decide. That call went the way of the nominal home side, but right at the death, the Force got a chance at a penalty kick and put that one away. 18-20 to 20 was the final. Absolute gut punch for the new side that time. Uh, finally, it was the Waratahs versus the Rebels. Quick aside here. So unlike the other leagues I follow, for Super Rugby, I can actually watch the pregame stuff. They actually have a whole legit like 45 minute to an hour of pregame show, which is often enlightening and always a bit goofy. Uh, one of the things that they do, I think is especially funny, is uh, they do like the, the little player interviews before the match, which lots of people do. But <laughs> for Super Rugby, they do it while the players are out on the field warming up which means that they're sort of regurgitating the typical cliches and platitudes that they always do, but they're panting heavily while doing so. It just cracks me up every time. <laughs> anyway, the Taz, they managed to notch their second consecutive vic uh, victory for the first time in 19 months. There were a lot of positive signs for them. 24 to 19 was the final score in that one. The Rebels' hideous kit, it would seem, is the least of their worries. So, as things stand now, we still have three winless teams in Super Rugby Pacific. Moana Pacifica, who haven't gotten their first league point yet. Obviously, they've only had two whacks at it so far. While my Highlanders have found only one losing point for their uh, for their four matches and the Rebels, two from their five losses. Yeah, it's pretty ugly down that side of the table. But if you look back up at the top, however, as I said, we've already got the, we've got the Brumbies there, undefeated and on 22 points. The Reds are just underneath them with 18 the Waratahs and the Crusaders are tied with 15 points each, though Crusaders have played one fewer match so far. The only other teams with more than 10 points are the Chiefs and the Western Force with 14 and 11, respectively. I very much hope things improve there so we can you know, get crowds back, uh, as well as getting the schedule back on track. It's become a bit of a hot mess. Okay, swinging all the way back around to the Northern Hemisphere, there was no action in the Premiership this weekend, so that concludes my coverage for them. But over in the URC, on Friday, the Bulls were taking on Scarlet's it was, oof, it was a true spanking. You know, Bulls, they had amassed a 45-7 to 7 lead with about a quarter of an hour left to go. And as I've been saying, these are dark days for all things Welsh rugby. You know, a few minutes later, Bulls would get to the half-century mark, and they still weren't finished, scoring and converting another try heading into the final minute. Scarlets managed to get a try after the clock had gone red, which represented their first point since late in the first half. And you could actually see four Welsh fans in the sparse crowd celebrating like crazy. I presume they just wanted to be somewhhere as far away from Cardiff as possible. Anyway, next up, it was Glasgow at home for Edinburgh for the 1872 Cup opener. It was a tight one. The Warriors were leading 17-10 to 10 at the half, with Edinburgh uh, then tying it up 10 minutes later. Glasgow, they reclaimed their advantage at 55 minutes, uh, with Ross Thompson again looking good and getting the conversion with confidence. Frantic pace throughout in this one. I, I thought Holly Davidson once again handled the whole affair expertly. I really think she's one of the best referees in the URC. Uh, Thompson, who would extend the lead of his, off his boot, heading past 65 minutes, and it felt like all the mo uh, momentum was theirs. More of the same a few ticks later. And I do have to say, while I like Thompson as a player, his kicking routine is maddeningly long. He's like the no more Garcia Parra of rugby. Just so much time wasting. It's wicked annoying. Anyway, at that point, it was 30-17. to 17. Edinburgh didn't look much like up to the task before them at that point. In any event, Glasgow appeared dead set on getting that bonus point, and they found themselves uh, driving close to the Edinburgh's try line in the final minutes as they just uh, as they happened to announce 20-year-old Jamie Dobie as player of the match. Good work for him. I have a good feeling about him for the future. Unfortunately for them, Tuapalatu had a bit of a brain fart and kicked it into touch after the clock had gone red, and ending a promising drive and their last shot at that bonus point. Kind of a, kind of a silly ending. Anyway, 
Moving on to Saturday, it was the Lions at home to face Munster. Munster looked in control the whole way, getting to uh, 10 to 21 at halftime, but then scoring dried up for the next 25 minutes before the home team kicked a penalty and then almost immediately followed it up with a try. Suddenly, it was a one-point contest with just about 10 minutes left. Can the Lions steal this one, I wrote? Sure enough. They took their first lead with the penalty at the 73-minute mark. Munster looked clinical coming right back down, but Lions, they stole a line out brilliantly, and that's where things would end. 23-21 to 21 in the end, Munster scoring not a single point in that second half. Great fight in the Lions on the day. Next up, it was Sharks versus Zebra. This one also was a blowout, unsurprisingly. Um, heading into the final quarter of play, they showed a, a really telling uh, statistic on the screen. They, they mentioned... Sharks average 8.2 points in the last 20 minutes of the game, uh, which makes them second behind Munster. Great stat, that. And then, hey, guess what? A Free Jacks mention on comms. It was so funny. I, I still love this. I, I'm still, like, smiling about it. Uh, one of the comms was, they were talking about a player, and they said, well, he went to Queens College and played for the Kings. Hmm, is there a, a team called the Jacks? And they kind of, ha, ha, ha. Then there's a brief pause, and then the answer came. There is, over in America, the Free Jacks. I'm way more excited about that than I should be, I think. Uh, to be fair, though, there was really nothing to be excited about in the game. So anyway, 38-6 to was the final score in that one. I don't think any Italian rugby fans will be too bothered about another Zebra loss on a huge day like today. I'm still stunned myself. Anyway, on Sunday, finally, it was Stormers facing Cardiff to end the weekend with a whimper rather than a bang. Cardiff... Didn't manage a single try in this one. The home team absolutely running rough shot over them at every turn and in every phase of the game. Kitsoff was back out there for the Stormers, who ran away with it 40-3 to in the end. Just a just a disgusting week for all things Welsh rugby. I feel I really feel for them. For those fans, they don't deserve this. Nobody does. Anyway, after these latest fixtures, the league table is thus. The top eight teams, of course, will make the, the quarterfinals. If the playoffs began today, those teams would be Leinster and Ulster in the top two spots, big shock, with 50 and 49 points respectively. They would be followed by newly third-placed Glasgow with 43 and Munster with 42. Edinburgh are in fifth place with 39. The Sharks are sixth now with 36. And the final two spots would be the Stormers and the Bulls. Imagine that. If three of the four South African teams are in the playoffs the very first year that they're in the, in the competition, that would be something. Um, anyway, yes, the, the, uh, the Stormers had just overtaken the Bulls by the, by their performance this weekend, just by a couple of points on the outside, looking in Zebra, they're still very much at the bottom with zero wins and zero draws to show for their 11 matches with the 15th, 14th and 13th places occupied by dragons, Cardiff and the lions on 11, eight and 21 points. Ospreys and Connick both have a semi-reasonable chance to fight their way into the top eight with 30 and 28 points. That's leaving Benetton one slot ahead of Scarlet's with 23 and 22 points, respectively. Woo, that's a lot. Okay, and back here at home in Major League Rugby. We had no Friday fixtures this week, but, you know, five on Saturday and just the one on Sunday. The first of those five was a mid-afternoon fixture between Utah and Toronto, with Toronto coming out on top by a penalty kick. 24-27 to 27 was the final. I have to say, if I hadn't looked, I would have thought that these teams' records were very much different than they are. Toronto are now 3-3, three and three, while Utah, who I'm pretty sure were semifinalists last year, are now down to 2-4. and four. Some really interesting results heading towards the halfway point of this season. It's been great, by the way. Anyway, Saturday night. We began with a big one, L.A. versus San Diego, where Big Brother got back on track, doubling up the Legion 26-13. to 13. What a tough day for my friend Will Owen, to be sure. Pretty much every result he could have wanted, he didn't get, and it was just, what a farce. Anyway, we also had Dallas facing Seattle. 
Dallas were still looking for their first win by the end of this one. The Jackals only scored 12 points at home to the Seawolves, 34. Things for the expansion team continue to be a real struggle. Of course, then we had New Orleans uh, at home again to face New Jersey. And as I have reluctantly admitted here a few times already, New Jersey are very, very good this year. They dispatched the gold. It was 19 to 30. Hoboken have a ton of momentum right now. I got to I got to say. Anyway, obviously you saved it for the last. The biggest one, of course, for me was my beloved Free Jacks heading down to Austin to face the, the, the team that's from there. Sorry, I still don't want to say their stupid name. Uh, anyway, don't get me wrong. Their name is the only stupid thing about this team. Uh, as I said here more than once, this was going to be our biggest mountain to climb this year. The first regiment, uh, who are the sort of primary Free, free Jacks fan group, they, we had a lovely little pre-match virtual get-together on Twitter. And uh, I'm kind of pleased with myself to announce that my contribution was Coach Matthew would show up with a very specific game plan to overcome this particular obstacle. I got the feeling people were like, what? Um, because the roster he sent wasn't didn't look geared for a win. And say, for the sake of transparency, I hadn't actually looked at the 23 when I was on that call. Because <laughs> I had to kind of frantically look it up while we were talking. I had been busy sort of just walking around in the days mumbling about Wales losing to Italy. But nevertheless... A game plan we had, and we managed to take down the top team in the league in their own venue. It was an absolute thing of beauty. Again, you know, to be perfectly fair, I didn't exactly predict a win for us, and uh, the AGs, as I'm happy to report they've started calling them on the broadcast, were heavy favorites. It, it was going to take a monumental effort to pull this one out. I do wonder if Coach stole a little bit of, you know, kind of a tidbit from the South African playbook which is sort of showing a starting 15 that is much different than the eight on the bench and then bringing those guys in really early, just really shaking things up and, um, you know, asserting pressure at different positions, uh, his sort of so-called bomb squad technique. Um, but, of course, either way, personally, when I see Bowden Walker come on, I just know all is going to be well. And, again, any listeners out there, if you have any connection with the broadcasters, please, please, please find a way to tell them it's not pronounced Bodine, okay? Anyway. Uh, Dougie Fife, of course, he spent more time doing jumping jacks and just desperately trying to stay warm back at home last weekend than he did actually, you know, handling the ball. Uh, he was back in the game plan in a big way, eventually getting a lovely try, but also, you know, distributing, making offloads, making defensive reads. He was just everywhere for us this week. Also, another thing I had boldly predicted in the little pre-show talk was that Kyle Shaquera would really show us something, uh, show us something on the day. And my friends, he did that and then some more on him to come for sure. So, Austin, however, they're a very serious side. They weren't going to give us an inch or quit, even for a second. They threatened to retake the lead over and over again. And this, as we were finding scoring opportunities of our own, just few and far between. I had speculated beforehand that in order to win, we'd need to find a way to neutralize Mac Mason, their unbelievable uh, fly half. Uh, we weren't able to do that, so it doesn't really count for my record that time. He, he's just so good. I'm not. I don't even know what a game plan to stop him would look like. Um, you know, I guess it would involve like some chloroform and some rags. Um, anyway, their scrum half also. That guy's going to have a great career as an underwear model after this is all said and done. But in the meantime, he's also a menace out there. The two of them are a great combination. So in the end, I would say it was our defense that really came through. Um, we couldn't find any offensive footing for the majority of the second half, but we found a way to hold on, uh, hold our own against the most potent offense in the MLR. My man, Kyle Shaquera, again, he got subbed out but had to come back on later, and he was absolutely gassed but still making plays at the end. Our new coaches and support staff really have us hitting new levels right now. There's just an obvious belief among all our squad that is making a huge difference this year. I knew we were going to be better this year, but I hadn't really thought about how much the other teams were going to be better as well. But even with that, we're looking... 
dominant in a lot of our games this year. So I don't, I don't get cocky about it. But we are ahead. Uh, we're ahead of where my most optimistic predictions were heading into this season. Next week, of course, it'll be another very serious test on the road before coming back home to Fort Quincy for the next festival of rugby. What a season so far. So FYI, we are now 5-1 with only three more road games this year, including next week, with seven home games to come. Um, we're also tied with the Austin team for league points at 23, um, uh, putting us both one point behind New Jersey, who have 24, but who we also have beaten. Again, not going not to get cocky, but as we are looking, let's say... Uh, we are looking, let's say, ahead of schedule right now. Uh, but it's a long season, and, uh, you know, things will change, I'm sure. 17-25 to 25 was the final score in this one. It was just great. So finally, on Sunday, we had a winless D.C. against a surging rugby ATL side, really gathering momentum. And my word, D.C., they're in a death spiral right now. All signs are pointing towards relegation, and we don't even have that. I feel like there should be a, like a, a challenge league or something. So DC and the Jackals can face off against, I don't know, Mystic Ru River Rugby or one of these teams. By the way, one of the oldest and greatest competitions in all of America, I would like to say. Anyway, after that match, it was worth looking again at the league table because it shifted a little bit. So in the West, there are three teams over 20 points after round seven, being Austin with 23, Seattle and San Diego tied at 21 each. Over here in the East, there are also three teams over 20 points, with now league-leading uh, Rugby ATL on top with 25, New Jersey with 24, and my Free Jacks with 23. Dallas and D.C. are both still winless, and D.C. hasn't even gotten a single losing bonus point after six games. Just really dark times down there. As I keep saying, it is a great competition this year, with 10 more weekends to go. That's right, that brings us to our highly coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the honors go to Mr. Kyle, the Eagle, Shaquera. Kyle got his first start of the year and really showed his wide range of skills in multiple areas. He was awesome out there, put in an incredible shift, carrying, disrupting the breakdown, providing crucial cover for our own rucks, just showing a great combination of aggressiveness and self-control at the same time. He really did it all for us out there. As I also mentioned already, he even came off at one point only to be forced back into the game, and somehow his godlike mullet came out no worse for the wear. It was something else. Kyle, this was our toughest victory so far this year, and you, my friend, had a huge part in that result. Congratulations. Enjoy all the spoils that come along with it, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Great work. As always, that brings us to our previews, so next week, let's take a look, shall we? Uh, obviously, Six Nations is over for the year. We're still a few weeks away from the uber-confusing first leg of the round of 16 in the Heineken Champions Cup, along with the equally befuddling round five of the Challenge Cup. Ugh, gosh, you need like a Rosetta Stone to understand that competition. Um, in the meantime, there is still, of course, a ton of rugby. Starting here at home in the MLR, we'll have just five fixtures this week. Two early Saturday fixtures, two night games, and then one on Sunday. Uh, for the early matches, the first is a battle of the underperformers with DC at home for NOLA, and then Atlanta, <sighs> hosting my Free Jacks, definitely another tough task. I'm already getting overly nervous about that one. Saturday evening, we'll have Seattle hosting LA, who will be looking to put together two good performances in a row for the first time this season, and Utah will be at home to welcome the Thundercats. Meanwhile, or not meanwhile, but then on Sunday, finally, New Jersey will be back at home to face Toronto, and I'm sure they're heavy favorites in that one as well. Over in England, the Premiership is back with a full slate. That'll feature just the one Friday matchup. This one will be Gloucester at home for Worcester. On Saturday, Bath will host uh, 
will host the Sale Sharks. London Irish will welcome in the Northampton Saints. Saracens will look to continue to gather momentum against Bristol. And Wasps will face Newcastle. On Sunday, then, the Exeter Chiefs will host the Leicester Tigers. That one should be something else. I can't wait for that one. That's going to tell us a lot about what the end of this season is going to look like as well. Meanwhile, in the Europe and South... In the Europe. Yeah, in the Europe. In Europe and South Africa, which still sounds funny to say it out loud, by the way. We'll have plenty of action in the URC. On Friday, the Lions are still at home to face Ospreys, and Munster will be back in Ireland to face Benetton. On Saturday, the Stormers play Ulster in Cape Town. Zebra will host Scarlets. That's got to be their most winnable game of the year so far, right? Um, the Sharks will be visiting Edinburgh. Uh, I'm sorry, they will face visiting Edinburgh. Sorry, they're at home for that one. Uh, the Bulls match up against Dragons. Cardiff will be very grateful to be back home to face Glasgow, although then they'll have to play a game. And finally, my Connacht boys will look to stay competitive against the perpetual league-leading Leinster. Ooh, that was a lot of L's. Uh, my pick of the week has to be the Sharks facing Edinburgh in Pretoria. That should be an interesting matchup. And also, Connacht are at home uh, at the lovely Sports Ground Stadium and may actually have a fair shot depending on how many players for Ireland are getting a rest after their complete dismantling of Scotland on the weekend. And it was only just now as I was talking that I realized there's actually two Sharks in this league now because Sale are Sharks and then there's the Sharks in South Africa. I can't believe it took me, like, what, 14 rounds to notice that? Anyway... Moving on, let's look at Super Rugby. So according to their always unreliable and weirdly put together website, allegedly on Friday, we'll have Moana Pacifica back in action against the Hurricanes and Melbourne Rebels will, of course, be facing the Fijian Drua. On Saturday, the 26th, we're allegedly going to have Western Force facing the, the, the Brombies and uh, followed by Highlanders at home for the Blues. Oh, God. After that, it'll be Chiefs versus Crusaders, and then the Queensland's Red, uh, Queensland Reds against the New South Wales Waratahs, and I think that'll wrap up the weekend in Super Rugby and rugby in general. It's going to be a lot of fun. There should be some great fixtures on the docket for this weekend. Well, my friends... That does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's just always great to hear from you. As always, if you would like to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. And you can always just email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. As I said earlier, if you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, it would really go a long way to help grow the pod and it would please me to no end. Um, if you like what we're doing here, there is at least one way you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode, as always. So everybody, thank you again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.